We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. Thanks for hanging out today. And it is Masters Week, one of the best weeks of the year, typically in April, um, around my wife's birthday. That throws a wrinkle in my Masters celebrations most years. But the good news is it won't be happening this year because we're in November. So excited to dive in and did a, a really cool roundtable conversation last week with four coaches and this is actually with golf.com that I did this, but really phenomenal conversation I want to share with you. It's with Jeff Smith. He works with Victor Hovland, who's actually not playing in the Masters this year. It seems kind of unbelievable, but he has worked with players in the past who, who played at the Masters and been there. We also have Chris O'Connell. Chris works with Matt Kuchar, who obviously has a phenomenal track record at the Masters, so tons of great insights from him. And then we have Jamie Mulligan, who works with Patrick Cantlay. He is playing really well right now, really serious contender at this Masters. So phenomenal conversation with these guys. They have just a ton of insights into how they're preparing for the Masters, what they're doing beforehand, what they're doing there while on site, and some insights into strategy. This is jam-packed with good stuff. So let's dive right into this conversation with the guys. Appreciate golf.com putting this together. The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more? And make take really better actions based on how your body is doing. And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, in the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. Hey everyone, welcome down to our Masters Roundtable presented by CDW. We have some awesome instructors here with us. We're going to talk about how they are getting their players ready. Let's dive in, get to know a little bit each of the instructors, who they're working with, and that kind of stuff. Let's start with you, Chris. Chris, tell us uh, who you work with, uh, kind of your relationship, your coaching relationship with them. Well, as far as Augusta, I'll just have uh, one player, be uh, Matt Kuchar. Matt and I started working in 2006 so it doesn't seem that long but uh we, we we've had a had a good run and uh you know makes makes my work pretty easy for one you know have one guy at a tournament so this will be his man i'm gonna say 10th masters since i've been with him uh, i think he qualified in 2010 and then he's qualified every year so 
as the other instructors know, sometimes at a tournament you got three, four, or five guys you're looking after. So to look after one guy is uh, pretty easy. And Matt's pretty low maintenance as it is. He kind of doesn't get too too ruffled. And so uh, looking forward to it. It'll be an interesting week. It's hard to wrap your head around. Here we are, October 31st, and the Masters is coming up. So, uh, but uh, looking forward to it, and it'll be an interesting experience. They're going to allow the instructors to stay on for the week and uh, actually watch the tournament, which will be be great. I think I think Augusta is a great course for spectators to sit and watch. It's a tough course to kind of follow your player to get a good vantage point, but so I'm looking forward to that. Shouldn't have any problem uh, getting a vantage point. Jamie, let's bounce to you. Good morning. Yeah, I'm Patrick Cantlay. I've been working with Patrick since he was seven years old for over 20 years now. I actually started playing golf with his grandfather when I was an assistant at the club that I'm the CEO at Virginia Country Club in Long Beach. And then I taught his father as well. He was a club champion at our club and uh, have been with you know Patrick and basically started him and has got to watch uh, his ascent to all the good things that he's done. This is our 27th trip to Augusta with players. Of that, I've been with Patrick about four or five times, as well as when he was an amateur there. And uh, really looking forward to it. As Chris says, it's a, it's an amazing golf course in, in many ways and, and definitely an amazing golf course for a bunch of galleries. It's going to be interesting with uh, 47 coaches out there trying to have uh, bets on lemonades as to whose player plays better. So we're looking forward to it a lot. And uh, as we all know, it's a magical spot, and there's nothing like the Masters. We can feel it now just getting ready to it, and we're not, only gonna, not even going to be there for another 10 days. Nice. Jeff? Actually, this year I don't have a player in the field, but I've been to uh, three of the last four with some of my players, Aaron Wise, Scott Piercy. I also work with uh, Victor Hovland, who unfortunately would, would normally probably be in the field this year, but with the, uh, the cutoff because of uh, COVID, he's kind of – uh, kind of left out of the field with his win earlier in the year. So, yeah, like these guys mentioned, as a coach, Augusta's not like any other week on tour for us. There's a there's a lot of restrictive movement. There's a lot of places where we have to be and, and where we can't be. And so it's a for me, it, it's been it's been a strange experience because it's a completely different routine than what we normally have on you know during the week where maybe we're walking practice rounds where our players were on the, were on the greens or on the golf course. That's, uh, that's pretty restricted at Augusta, so you don't quite get the same probably detail or level of work that we would normally get on a, on a normal tour week. Let's talk about tournament prep. Let's talk about you know, how, how to get players ready for a major two to four weeks out. And I think you know, we'll, we'll bounce to you, Jamie, because very interesting, Patrick, coming off a win, obviously playing really well. Do you find that it's more difficult or there's more pressure applied? So it, it's... You know, that whole aspect going into a major after, you know, a big win and playing well like that. Yeah, you stole my punchline there. I was going to say we like to win within a month of a major. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier to get ready to go. Um, we're huge on, you know, we've run this system all the time with all of our players. You know, everybody that we've had, the 15 LPGA or PGA players that we've ever worked with, we kind of put them in what we think call this the wheel and the wheel is a, a manner of all these spokes, and our job is to keep the spokes straight. And they all have different mannerisms and different ways about what they need to do. And the spokes are kind of uh, iconic for whatever they're doing in those little areas. And our job is to keep them straight. And also our job as the instructors to see how straight we can keep them all year long, and whether it's major, whether it's a regular event. So 
we've done, I think, a pretty good job in, in our mind, in my mind, and our players' minds of not changing the spokes up too much. And if they get bent, we figure out why they're bent and we try to work on them. So interesting with Patrick, like for a couple months since we got back from the break, he's been trending really, really nice, like a spectacular round in an event and a really solid round, then a so-so round and kind of an indifferent round, but off the away from the tournament and watching him prep and watching him do his gig, whether it was nutrition or fitness or how he was working on his motion or rolling the ball or short game and all looked on point, but we weren't getting quite the results that we were trying to. So to have this last week and watch him come together and, you know, we, we stayed out in Malibu last week and my clubs in Long Beach and our member guest was going on. So I was kind of driving back and forth and every day when I drove back to go to the club, before I drove out to Malibu, I was thinking, man, he's on point. He looks really, really great. So it's fun when that thing comes to fruition. And right now we're going to keep him in the bubble. He actually went out there and uh, played yesterday and they had a great day there. We were going to go out and actually play with him. And uh, we have all the fires in California, so we thought it would be best to stay home and be safe around here. But he's ready to go. So now we'll just kind of keep him in chill mode. And he's great at that as well, too. He can stay, you know. Uh, indifferent in his mind and not quite worry about things and he's done it enough now that we're ready and then when we get back on Monday to start we'll do our regular things in order to prepare and get ready. Jeff what about instruction you know as far as technical teaching what kinds of things are you willing to work on leading up to a major two to four weeks out and what kinds of things are you not willing to work on? Yeah I don't really think it's any different uh, for a major than it is you know the normal course of the year every player has got, you know, a set of sort of fundamentals that they're working on from a technique standpoint. And when you get to this level of coaching, those things don't change very often. It's just executing on those things better and better and better. So for a major, I find myself gravitating more toward like de-escalation. These guys know what they're playing for. They, they get ramped up themselves they they know that a major's coming up they put more pressure on themselves than necessary so i find myself really trying to like minimize the expectation minimize the moment make them more aware of you know their basic fundamentals and not really try to go outside the box and reach a lot because that's the first thing a player will do when they when they feel a lot of pressure of, of a big moment or a big tournament They'll be like, hey, what do you think about this? Look at this part of my swing. You know, all these things that we've never even talked about before are now just popping up. And, and I think that's just a response to stress. So my job in that moment or that role is to really just kind of de-escalate, make them comfortable, and, and make sure that they're focused on the things that actually mat- truly matter to their game and them playing their best golf. Totally. Chris, let's bounce to you. Two to four weeks out, what are you and Matt working on what does kind of the weekly routine look like and, and what is the practice, you know, on, an, on a very practical standpoint, what's actually going on? Augusta is a little different for us. 11 months or actually 51 weeks out of the year, Matt Kutcher wants to fade or even slice the ball. And then about the first part of March, he starts asking me how to hit a draw because <laughs> March he starts thinking about Augusta and so I have two conversations with Matt. Number one, I talk about Jack Nicholas, who played a fade and won six green jackets to kind of tell him it doesn't have to draw the ball. But then we will work on it. There's a couple holes, particularly 10 and 13, which are beneficial if you can move the ball right to left. So 
that's always an, uh, an interesting. Whenever you ask about that, that's when I know Masters Week is coming because the guy absolutely, uh, I've never met anybody who has more disdain for a ball going left than Matt Kuchar. So, and the second thing that he gets really kind of tuned in on is he wants to have complete control in his short game. And I say control, he wants to see how much spin he can generate. Augustus Greens get so firm and fast, especially late in the day. And if you don't have spin on your golf ball, it I mean, you could hit two chips that are seemingly the same and they could end up 30, 30 feet apart. So he's really big on his contact and short game and trying to spin the ball. And then, you know, he wants to be able to draw the ball, you know, where 10 and 13. Other than that out there, I, I don't think drawing the ball is, is that important. But uh, it's always – we spend 51 weeks trying to not make it go that way, and then all of a sudden he thinks he, he needs to. So it's a little bit what Jeff said, where sometimes I think players maybe make it overcomplicated instead of just kind of sticking with, uh, with what got them there. They all of a sudden think they got to do something special to, to, to win a major. And uh, the majors are – it's still a 72-hole golf tournament. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing more than that. So did you get the text where he was asking how to hit a draw this year already? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it, it didn't happen a month. I think he kind of forgot that the Masters was coming up. So he, he uh, didn't ask a month in advance. He just asked, say, last week. <laughs> That's great. So I, the theme is kind of uh, de-escalation that I'm hearing from all of you is we're just kind of, I think, Chris, what you just said right there is, you know, do what got you there and not try to go outside the box or do anything different is, is kind of the key. Concur here, for sure. I love the word de-escalation. And when you think about it, I mean, this is what they do for a living. This is what we do for a living. And the moment's going to make it bigger than it is. And they're preparing their whole life in order to make the moment, you know, the way that it is so they can perform and they can grab a trophy at the end. And um, I think the more normal that you do in our business to make everything, whether they're practicing, playing around at home, playing around with somebody, playing in a tournament, or playing, you know, overseas, wherever they are, the more normal you can make it, the more similar that you can make it, the better that it is. Nitty gritty details. Is there any kind of like games that you're having people use? Is there anything of, are you guys a fan of, you know, visualizing a certain hole and trying to, you know, hit shots to that and trying to dial in, you know, a shot pattern? Is there any kind of games or drills which you feel are really helpful when preparing for some, a big tournament? Yeah, I mean, you you just mentioned it right there. I've I've stood on the range with you know, the yards are booked from Augusta with some of my players in preparation and they're kind of going through every tee shot in their mind. You know, we'll, we'll create sort of a visual barrier on the range that represents, you know, the, the second hole where you got to hit a big, you know, draw around the corner or whatever. And, uh, you know, so a lot of players will do that. And, and, you know, in fact, one of my players was, was practicing this week at medalist and Tiger was out there doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. So, had his yards book out, was going through every single tee shot. I think that's a pretty common uh, common thing. The other thing that a lot of my guys will try to do, and, and it's tricky, it's very difficult to replicate because Augusta's greens are so fast and so there's so much slope on them, we don't really get to practice or look at greens like that very often. And so, you know, a lot of my guys will, you know, buddy up to the greenskeeper at the club wherever they practice and, and say, hey, can, can, you, can you double roll them? Can you speed up this, this back chipping green for me? And they'll try to get some kind, of a, some kind of a realistic look at, you know, 
what, what they're going to be playing that week. Because, I mean, honestly, like Chris mentioned, chipping, chipping at a place like Augusta is so difficult because you never chip on speeds that are on greens that fast with that much slope. And so I, I think it's a hugely underrated skill that's necessary to, to play well at the Masters. And that's why you see guys like, you know, Bernhard Longer every single year at the top of the leaderboards. It's not necessarily because he's out ball striking everybody. He just knows how to navigate those greens and can save a lot of those shots around there. So that's just a couple of little, little things that I'll see guys do. Yeah, Frederica in Sea Island. They've got a bunch of tour player members there. Cooch is a member, Zach Johnson, Harris English. Uh, they got a bunch more. But they, I know they will, leading up to the Masters, get the greens just 14 as fast as they can get them, which is great for the guys there because they get to kind of train for a week or two heading into Augusta. And it's not, not such a shock when you all of a sudden show up. But the Augusta, the course changes so dramatically. We've gone in before on a Sunday before the tournament week. And it's pretty benign. And then they, they have the ability to ramp that place up exactly mm-hmm. how they want. They, they can get moisture out of that place overnight. So mm-hmm. as the week goes, uh, the course changes quite a bit. But there, there's some times when they uh, – late in the afternoon and there's some wind blowing. I mean, those greens are just – you're defensive putting. I mean, you, you might have an eight-footer and you're trying to figure out how, how can I two-putt this thing. So it can get dicey around there. In our gig, I like what we call running the movie all the time, meaning today's junior golf uh, and tour player Saturday at our club. And for three decades, at one or two o'clock in the afternoon, we'll have two tour players and a couple of young people that we're working with, and they'll go out and play. And if there's two groups of them, they'll go out and play, and I'll watch golf. We'll probably watch more golf than we will ever stand on the range watching people play. And we're running in the movie the whole time. And when we get to a certain hole, whether it's a hole that looks like the 10th hole at Augusta or whether it's a hole that looks like the 8th hole at, at Mirfield, we'll always bring that up. So the movie's always going maybe at nauseum to our players. But, you know, even listening to Patrick talk about Augusta a couple of days ago, he's like, you had painted the picture from all the times that you've been there so well when I got there. And with TV, I already knew what it looked like. And I think that's a big thing that they have in their head and they know what they're going to do and they know how they're actually going to play there. And then I was going to say a couple of years ago, we got to go with Phil and prepare. And Patrick and Phil, after they played in the morning one day, they just took their, Phil took his 64 and Patrick took their 60 and they were out there for three hours on the back nine hitting pitches. And Phil was kind of saying the same thing that Chris and Jeff alluded to that, there's not really any place that you pitch like here that's as unique as this. And while it was before the tournament, and obviously it was slower to go out there and just work with a guy that's won the tournament three times and watch the pitches that he hits and watch him try to spin the ball into the slopes and allow the ball to matriculate down. And then lastly, every time that we're there, when we get there on a Monday, I was like walking out the golf course and looking at the course and going, oh my God, this place is so pure, regardless of where we are, because we get to go to such special venues but there's no different. There's no place like Augusta that changes, as Chris said, more from Monday to Sunday, and they can do what they want. Last year, you know, it got drizzly, or a year and a half ago, it got drizzly, and then by the time that you got to Saturday, you're like, well, I thought there was some moisture, and it was completely gone from the golf course. So it's like they can turn the buttons pretty well. Let's dive into at the tournament week, right? Like what what you do. Let's start with the putting because you guys are talking about it. What are the best things you can do to help? a player calibrate to a different environment like that. Yeah, that's, that's a very tricky one there. I think 
one of the goals of, of the folks that put on the tournament are to make the tour players as uncomfortable as possible. And uh, that's sort of the defense mechanism for the golf course. They want to keep you on your toes, keep you off balance. And so you won't see things like putting equipment down on the practice putting green. You know, you're, you know, I was there a couple of years ago and, and Bryson pulls out the GC quad and sets it down there. And 10 seconds later, here come the green jackets, you know, get this thing off the putting green. You're not going to see guys putting levels down. So there's a lot of like secrecy around the, the green itself. You know, there's a lot of guys on tour who use, you know, stuff like Aimpoint where they're very used to, you know, having slope books and knowing exactly what the slopes are and calibrating their aim point and all of that. So, you know, as far as that stuff goes, those routines stay the same. You know, the guys will spend a lot of time doing speed work on those greens. Again, I think to, to putt well or to play well there, you got to have great distance control and you got to be really, really solid around the hole because a lot of your, a lot of your, you know, 30, 40 foot lag putts, they're not, they're not going to end up as close to the hole on that first attempt as, as you would see at a normal tour event. So you're going to have a lot of five or six footers left. And you'll, so you'll see a guy, guys doing a lot of drills around the hole and stuff like that in, in tournament preparation. I like the word uh, texture work. We like this a lot, how the ball is actually coming off your putter, regardless of where you are and with great putters. And, you know, Chris's guy, Matt, probably does that as well as anybody. The strike looks the same, whether the greens are eight on the stem meter or 14 on the stem meter. And he's basically controlling distance by letting the putter swing longer. And I love that look with players. And I think at that place, it's really important. I was also going to say, while the new driving range is almost better than most golf courses and you could stay there forever, for me, being an old traditionalist, I'm not quite sure if the new putting green over there is similar to the one on the golf course, but I've never seen a, a putting green more similar than the putting green that's right between the iconic one that's right between 1 and 10. It feels exactly like the golf course. And I think that's a really good barometer green. And we love going out there on Monday when Patrick was an amateur and he stayed in the crow's nest. You know, I'd meet him there every morning for like an hour putt where we were just doing texture and speed work. And it's amazing how that thing gets quicker. John Merrick played really nicely there his rookie year and finished six and had like a backdoor 65 that where he finished six. And I remember there was this like 20 footer that we were hitting on the far right side of the fighting green and this five footer that we were hitting all week. And I literally saw that puck get twice as quick, including the uphill little five footer. So I think you got to gauge that. And as Chris says, there is some defensive putting out there but getting more comfortable to that on a daily basis and watching what they do to make it evolve through the week is really important. You know, I think uh, obviously you'd love to have, uh, I mean, as a teacher, it's great to have a great putter. I mean, that makes you, makes you look good. But the one thing about Augusta that doesn't seem like people assume you have to be a great putter to win at Augusta. And man, I can go through and list some kind of dodgy putters that have won at Augusta. I mean, Bubba Watson, Bernard Langer, Fred Couples. You get some people who aren't known as great putters that, that still manage to win Augusta. And people assume because the greens are super fast, you have to be a great putter. And I think sometimes when they get super fast that the fact you're putting defensive takes away that skill to where you're, you're, not, you're almost trying to two-putt. You're not, you're not making putts. Also, when they're that fast, you really don't have to even make a stroke. You just kind of have to nudge it and just kind of get it going somewhere down near the hole. So 
everybody thinks you have to be a great putter. I mean, I would certainly, you know, I'd love to have Ben Crenshaw putting for me at Augusta, but there have been some, now when I say weak, they're great putters, but by tour standards, it's not their strength. So, so would, do you think it's good to have a, a mindset shift potentially when putting? Is, is it good to change and say, I'm going to be a little bit more defensive this week in my putting than I was last week? What do you think? Well, you, I mean, you hate to putt defensively, but you really, there's so many putts out there. You're simply trying to get it close to the hole. I mean, Jeff talked about doing speed drills. Matt, Matt does a speed drill where he tries to hit each putt a little bit longer than the last. If he comes up short, he starts over and then he has kind of a, he's trying to see how many in a row he can get. And then he runs out of room. Well, normally in this drill, he'll set up, say 20 feet be his first putt, 40 feet would be his longest. And he starts trying to go 21 feet, 22 feet. Well, normally he can do that. He could probably get 10 in a row at Augusta. I mean, it makes you feel like an absolute beginner because You'll, you'll hit what feels like the same putt, but a, with, at that speed, a slight more putterhead speed doesn't equate to six inches past. It equates to three feet past. So we'll do that drill, but, I mean, there's, there's times when you do that drill, and he almost it, it, it somewhat defeats him because he, he realizes how challenging it really is. And so I just think there's, there's very few putts at Augusta that you feel comfortable putting aggressive. And I think probably when Jamie was talking about Patrick being out with Phil, where you're chipping from is hugely important. I mean, if you're chipping from the right spots, it's very easy to get it up and in. But, you know, number one, you go over number one green and forget it. It's just a cardinal sin. You cannot go over number one green. So if they have a pin in the back there, number one, it's going to be really boring. Everybody's going to hit it. 30 feet short and trying to, but no, nobody's going to make a birdie unless they hole long putt. If they hit it close to that hole, they're taking, in my opinion, they're taking terrible strategy because you just, there's so many situations there where you're trying to, I hate to say it, but you're trying to avoid a certain, a certain position on the course. Yeah. To, I would say to further elaborate, you know, Chris's point there on, you know, nullifying, you know, the, the importance of being a great putter there. When you look at the, the data, you know, at Augusta, you know, the separation value from player to player doesn't come from putting. It doesn't come from on the greens. You know, for example, Shadow Creek here two weeks ago, Kokrak wins and he gains over 11 shots on the greens. You're just not going to see that happen at Augusta. So no one can really separate themselves that way from the rest of the field. It's definitely a ball strikers golf course. You know, Augusta is a second shot golf course. And, you know, so going into that, you, you know that you might have some leeway off the tee, but you've definitely got to be on, you know, on point and be very precise with your iron play. Again, like Chris mentioned, there's, you know, you've got to be very precise with your second shot on that golf course because there's certain sections on those greens to where if you hit the ball in the wrong section, it's, it's, it's almost an auto three putt. Sometimes you can't stop it. So it's not necessarily a measure of how well you're putting. It's a measure of did I hit it on the right section of the green to, to not to not three putt here. So, you know, definitely I would agree with him and say that historically the great ball strikers are the ones who are, are, are putting themselves in position to win the tournament. Not, I do say I do think that you have to putt what you know, you have to putt well to win, to give yourself a chance to win any golf tournament on, on tour, but you don't have to you know, go crazy on the greens there. 
Let's talk about short game prep. Are there any kind of shots that you feel like are particularly important to work on? Chris, you mentioned controlling spin is something that Matt works on a lot. Um, are there any other kind of shots that are particular to Masters Week that you you like to get players comfortable with and, and working on? I think Jeff touched on it in moving short game there, kind of, you know, back even to the 100 and 110-yard shot that you're going to be for, say, if you have to lay it up on hole number two and you got left hole location, middle location, down right hole location, where are you going to land the ball and where are you going to use the spin there? And, you know, the place is a masterpiece, you know, and there's so many reasons for the fact that it is a masterpiece. You know, we could argue between us whether we think it's a putting course or a ball hitting course, but it really makes you deliver all the goods to play well there. I love sitting with the old caddies, especially back in the day, and they're talking about, you know, what we would call big picture topography, how everything gets to a point in Ray Creek, Ray's Creek, down by hole number 11. And it's not actually just the Ray's Creek. It's a little spot in the pump house where they think things break too. And uh, whether you believe in that or you're completely stuck on aim point and you don't think that matters or not, but the ball is definitely moving down towards that way. And when you're hitting shots, especially if the wind's going there, you got to be thinking about that. So I liken the prep work through the week and they do a great job with their driving range or when you're out playing your practice rounds, trying to figure out where do I have to hit my ball in order to let it matriculate or manifest down towards the hole, which is almost different than any other venue that we go to because you can use the land and the slopes and the wind so nicely there to your advantage and also can make you look really bad if you miss one of those slopes. Chris, when you and Matt go this week here on strategy, are you guys pretty dialed in? Matt obviously has a a great track record there over the years of so many good finishes. Are you guys pretty dialed in on strategy, knowing what clubs are going to be hit off tees, kind of aim points into greens? Are you pretty conservative or more aggressive? Talk a little about strategy maybe. Yeah, I mean, that that wouldn't change a whole lot. That would only change if the course, if it were cold or soft, Matt's going to struggle to reach the par fives. If it's firm and warm, uh, he's fine. Now, he's going to be hitting more club in there than than other guys. But, uh, you know, when you saw Zach Johnson win there, it was really, really cold. I think it kind of took away. Zach couldn't get to the par fives, so he had to rely on a short game. Other guys that could get there had to hit so much club into those holes that they weren't as uh, offensive holes as normal. So that year, the, the score was a pretty high, high winning score. So that that would, I mean, Matt's wedge game is important, especially there if, if it's soft and it's playing long. But if if it's firm, Matt Kuchar's not going to be hitting a lot of wedges around there because the par fives he'll be on the green or, or chipping and the par fours are too long for him to where he would get wedges. So wedge game is important for him. I would say the longer that that golf course plays because it comes into play on the, on the par fives. Now Bryson DeChambeau wedge game is going to be important no matter what, because you know, he's going to have, you, you start thinking about the club, not just Bryson. I mean, you know, Rory, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, I mean, you can go on and on. Bryson has changed his game, but a lot of talk about how Bryson's changed the game. I, that that style of play has been going on for a long time. Just let's just hit driver as far as we can, get as short a club as we can get in. But you start thinking about the clubs that the, that he will be hitting in, or those other guys if they choose to hit driver. And I mean, eleven eleven is a it's over five hundred yards. Cooch a lot of times is coming in there with with the hybrid, and I mean he'll. You know, those guys, 
Bryson hit some kind of wedge into 11. I mean, it just it, there's not going to be any long holes out there for for Bryson or Rory or DJ if 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 it's warm and, and firm. Yeah. What, what about you, Jamie, with with Patrick and, and looking at strategy? Just a, a ton of drivers uh, hit as far as possible. Looking at the attacking every pin or more conservative into greens. Any thoughts or prep on on strategy? I think you could get uh, Chris and Jeff and I uh, to agree with what Chris said for sure. While we might disagree with some things, everybody's been hitting it far for a long time and trying to hit it far for a long time. The interesting thing about Augusta, if you look historically, you know, it's kind of, it's favored a lot of players, you know. Mike Weir didn't bomb it. Crenshaw didn't bomb it. Zach didn't bomb it. You know, Max played unbelievably around there and not. So I think it's putting it in the right spot. I think Patrick's got a really good look at it. He was a low amateur, you know, last year. He, uh, you know, we, we, or a year and a half ago, excuse me, we barely made the cut and then got him the cut on the number. And then he, I think he tied the low score on the weekend or close to the low score on the weekend. And we had a really good chance to win coming down the stretch. And I think he sees it the right way. And the one thing, if you're much like the iron shots, if you're using the slopes and you're using the land and you're losing, using the wind right, the right way, you're turning 300-yard carry a lot of times into 330 and 340-yard carry. And then there's some holes where you just got to hit it straight out there. Like, for me, seven's changed almost as much as any hole out there. When I first went out there, you know, I, I saw Weisskopf the first time I was out there almost driving in the greenside bunker. And then, you know, now you're back on that hole sometimes hitting a five, six, seven, eight iron into that hole. And, and it doesn't matter how far you hit it. If Bryson's going to go ahead and take a swing at that one and try to hit it on the green, it better be a really good one. And if, I can't imagine you being able to, to do that four holes in a row. So we have our lines. We have the lines in our head picked out really well. We have our lines in our head picked out on how fast it goes and what the wind does. And our caddy does a really nice job at figuring out how the lines move over based on the circumstances. So we're ready with the driver. I think uh, I, I agree with what Jeff said that uh, Augusta being a second shot golf course. I think guys that have won there have been have been great iron players. I mean, I think Tiger Woods is probably the greatest iron player in the history of the game. And so I think Augusta is uh, you play aggressive off the tee, and then I think you turn around and I think you play more conservative into the green. And so that's where it's an it's an interesting golf course, but. A great iron shot at Augusta a lot of times doesn't mean you're you're close to the hole. It means you hit it to the right right spot on the green. Yep, I would I would agree with that. I mean, we, I think we're all kind of anticipating, you know, to see what Bryson does with taking some of those lines. I mean, we've all like I've already played the golf course in my head, thinking about 200 ball speed and and where I would hit it on certain holes. And you know, I'm curious. You know, we're all excited to see to see those lines. But at the end of the day. You still have to make the putts. You still have to have play ball position. You know he, he's got to play really well to, you know, to, to win there. Jeff, I saw the other day that that you had uh, Victor getting his clubhead speed up there and some some pretty pretty big changes. Is that kind of off of that Bryson wave? And have you guys thought about talked with players at all about gaining speed? Yeah, you know, for Victor, no, it really had nothing to do with with Bryson. You know, as I started to work with him and evaluate him as an athlete. I saw someone who statistically was leaving a lot on the table. Victor is an incredible ball striker, you know, always has been since, since his youth and uh, was doing a lot of things to really like, you know, put a governor on his, on his, his speed. Victor's a great athlete. He's very fast twitch. He's strong. And he has the capability of swinging very, very fast. And uh, 
You know, in fact, he was doing things like, uh, you know, you got Bryson going 48. This kid was playing an inch short driver. So there was, a, there were some things like that that were like no brainers. And in, in the beginning it was like, let's, let's test it. Let's see. Can we still be a world-class driver of the ball being as accurate as he is? I mean, hitting over 65% of his fairways, but just push it down the fairway a little bit further because I thought that it would definitely change his game as a player if, cause he's a great iron player and a great driver. If I could get a few more shorter irons, wedges kind of things in his hand then I think it would give him an even a bigger a bigger edge you know tee to green and so you know we weren't really trying to chase Bryce thing like Chris said I mean speed has been a differentiator since the beginning of golf and all of, I've always tried to get all of my players to hit it far I think you just see more of an emphasis now on guys working on their body training making sure their equipment is dialed in to just sort of max. There's a lot of reason why distances think coaches understand how to generate force and speed now like they never have before. And so you've got these great athletes in front of you that can do this stuff. There's just, there's a reason why everybody just, I, I say it, I say it now, 180 ball speed is like the new 165 ball speed. I mean, I've got 15 kids under 18 years old with 180 ball speed. You know, some of them at 190 ball speed. And it, it, equipment doesn't have a lot to do with that. It's the, the type of athlete and how they're, you know, how they're producing force now. So, yeah, that's just, you know, that's my two cents on the, on the Bryson thing. Cordy, it would be really interesting to take the players for every generation and just look at their body types and look what they look like compared to what they look like now. We played a practice round on Tuesday, um, at Sherwood with Jess Guy Victor, and he's an impressive athlete. Like, when you get close to him and realize him, the kid is fit as can be, he's making a bunch of speed, the way he walks, you know, he looks like you could put him in, you know, I don't think he played any baseball, but you look like you could make him shortstop if you wanted to. And if you look, if he had to play college football, you could make him a free safety. I mean, he looks like an athlete, and they all do. And, you know, a lot of the speed, like, there's different ways to go about getting speed, you know, Think of what's going on in our world with the physios and the trainers and the gym world and what they're doing. I know what our guys are doing. And uh, so I don't think that's going to change. And it makes, uh, makes me proud watching it that we've become more athletic than anybody almost thought that we ever were going to be. Chris, what's your take on this? Obviously, Matt being of a little bit older of a generation right? Than Victor and Patrick potentially in that conversation. But what is your, have you guys talked about that at all, speed at all? And, and has that ever come up in the last six months? Yeah, I would love for, you know, Jeff said 180 is the, the new 165. I'd love to see Matt Kutcher at 180. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I, I yeah, wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> if I could get 180, I might quit teaching. <laughs> uh, you know, Kutch grew up you know, Pooch is 42 now. And so he was right as Tiger was kind of coming on the scene. Because I can remember being at Augusta when Tiger was an amateur and all the stories about Tiger hitting nine iron and 15 and this and that. And I mean, he was hitting, you know, this is a 43 and a half inch steel driver. And it was just crazy the places he was hitting it. And I think, I think that had a big influence on kids growing up and, and, seeing how far they could hit it. I think launch monitors have had a huge issue. I mean, there's nothing like swinging and getting feedback as to was that faster or not. And 
you know, it just, it motivates kids. It, it's a scoreboard, but you know, Cooch would be, we, we have worked on getting him more, more distance. Uh, we probably eight years ago, we started looking at it and everybody, I think Matt hits it further than he's ever hit it, but everybody else has gotten longer. So we realized that for him to have more chances to win and for him to extend his career, he needed more, more distance. We've, you know, he's probably a club head speed, probably a 110 guy. We've gotten him up to 115 before, and it just doesn't feel, it feels out of control to him. And I said, it should feel out of control to you. But his game revolves so much around precision and control that he has not felt comfortable to date trying to put that into play. But uh, it would certainly... He can, he can give you like 50 or 60 million reasons why precision's been pretty, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. important for him too. <laughs> you know, it's pretty interesting. It was uh, yeah. so last week at Sherwood, they got five par fives there. And one of them, everybody's kind of handcuffed because the fairway runs out. I think it's uh, 13. But the other ones, you know, Matt will hit a drive, say, 280. And he's coming in there with, with a three wood. Uh, you know, he's got 260 coming in there. And at the end of the week, he said, you know, I felt like I played pretty good golf. He said, I did not play the par fives very well. He said, I felt like I played pretty good golf and I finished 45th or whatever. And I was talking to him about the par fives to where I said, imagine if you had, say, say 20 yards, if you're coming in there instead of, you know, 250 or coming in there at 230. And so that on that particular course, 15, 20 yards or shoot, 40 yards makes a huge difference. So there are certain courses benefit certain players, but like Jamie's saying, I mean, when you play a tournament, you most likely you kind of got to do everything well. And the beauty of golf is that it's not just one skill. There are so many skills involved. And so maybe you as a shorter hitter, maybe you're giving up uh, after the tee shot, you're at a disadvantage, but then, you know, I'll take Matt Kutcher from that point forward all the way to the hole over most players. But there are certain holes, certain courses where an average length hitter is given up yardage. Let's wrap with what you do week of the best week of the year comes in November this year. Who knew? What are you doing? What are the keys for a good warm up? So a, a player feels that security going into the round that they've done everything they can to prepare themselves when they step on that first tee. Well, I think Jamie's got to figure it out, get your guy to win the month leading into the tournament. So I, <laughs> I need to figure that, figure that strategy out. Uh, I think obviously going into the week in good form is, it takes away a lot of stress trying to, trying to find your game at a major any week trying to find your game is not, not the ideal scenario, but I, I think in the warm up, going through certain, certain tee shots, you know, kind of painting a picture of, okay, can't miss left here. Can't miss right here. Some tee shots that would be uncomfortable for Matt. It would be, I'm going to, I'm going to work on a couple draws, but I don't want to overdraw it. 12 at Augusta is always a, we don't work a lot in terms of on the range. We would work on shots, tee shots, avoiding one side or the other, not so much approach shots, but 12 at Augusta is a different story. 12 at Augusta, we're always talking about that hole and Matt likes to fade it. And I think, I think that's very dangerous on that hole. I think you need to play that, that hole to the right over the bunker front edge of that green, right over that bunker, hit it straight or try and hook it no matter where the pin is. Cause the way that green's set up long left's terrible and short right's terrible. And that's your miss pattern for a right-handed golfer. So 
that hole is a people think they've got an eight or a nine or and they think it's a birdie hole. It's not. It's a it's a potential disaster hole. So we'll work on that to where we'll kind of paint a picture and, and no matter where the pin is, try to get him, he's gonna hit it here or left. So a lot of visualization, like working through shots on the range, just testing it out. Yep. We're going to keep running the movie that we were talking about. You know, we've been painting the movie for this guy for a long, long time. He knows what it looks like. He knows what it feels like. You know, as Jeff and Chris can attest to, we're on the minute in our business, meaning I'm sure when Aaron Wise is going to go warm up, Jeff knows what time he's going to walk out into the putting green or the driving range, you know. And I know what Patrick will do the whole week. We will set up camp, you know. We'll stand in a place that we know that's familiar it's one of the weeks when our whole team will stay together. When we're away from the golf course, we'll try to make it loose and easy and have fun and not worry about golf too much. And then when we get there, we'll kind of go through our whole system and be adaptable. You know, I think that stress for everybody is not knowing the outcome of what's going to happen. And our job is to eliminate all the pictures of that stress. And if something does come up stressful to go back into our bubble and make it really, really low key and kind of figure out how we want it to be. And then, at the end of the day, I remember sitting in the, in the locker room with a veteran player one time, and we were kind of getting ready and to go out and walk out. And I said, man, it's nice to be here. And he says, when you're here, you feel like you've done something right. You know, this is a spot. And that one kind of resonates completely. We know we've done something right to be there. And the object is to be there all the time. So we're looking forward to having a great week at that iconic special place. And Nobody runs the golf tournament like the Masters, so they do it pretty tremendous with a bunch of people there. It's going to be really interesting and intriguing to see what they do with just the, the coaches and our bubble there, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. It is a special week. They, they leave no stone unturned there. I mean, the, the things they – there's a thousand things they think about there. One of them that nobody talks about that I didn't know about was the pins on the green are actually – they're made out of steel. Because if it happens to be a windy day, they don't want the flags flopping all over the place. And I mean, just mm-hmm. little details like that. And when you add up all those little details, you really know that this is a special week. And like, like Jamie said, you, you've, done, you've done something right uh, if you're there. And, and I think everybody, the energy of that place is great because everybody is, is excited to be there. And everybody feels very, very blessed to be there during that week. That seems like the perfect place to to wrap this conversation. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us and sharing some insights and getting ready for the Masters week. Uh, we appreciate your time and I uh, hope everybody enjoys this week. It's it's uh, one of the best of the year, that's for sure. So thanks for hanging out. Thank you to CDW for presenting this conversation. Thanks for having us, Jeff and Chris. Thanks for all the good things you continue to do. Keep doing it, Cordy. Appreciate what you do as well. All right, guys. Thank you all. 